Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Well, the story of Zacchaeus is one that, uh, for many people, is a favorite. If you um, grew up in church like I did, um, you remember the story partly because you learned the song. 
You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah, anybody know that? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Of course, it may have been my singing that threw you off. But it's, it's a great little song and it's a great little story. It's one of those things that when you're little, you, you take home with you. And it, and it stays in your heart. Now, the only shortcoming to the, to the song is that, and often even the way that it's preached on, is it doesn't connect the story of Zacchaeus to the parable that Jesus tells. And they're very important that they go together. Because they're actually on the exact same theme. It seems at first like it's about money, but it's really about the purpose of Jesus being lived out. And, and I hope that uh, today as we walk through the scripture, that the Lord will speak to you in a fresh way from a story that for some is very familiar and for others is brand new. But let's ask the Lord to speak today and then we're going to explore this passage of scripture together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word tells us about who you are, how it shows us your heart, how it shows us your holiness, your perfection, and your beauty. And Lord, as we look at these scriptures and we examine this story, would you speak to each and every heart here? Lord, I ask specifically that you'll enable me to get out of the way And that you will speak, that we'll hear from you and that we'll be changed, we'll be challenged, we'll be comforted, we'll be encouraged. Lord, speak and enable us to listen, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of background to the story first, and then we're going to explore and make some observations about it. It takes place in Jericho, and Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. In fact, it claims to be the oldest city in the world. It has artifacts that date back 11,000 years, and it's, it's truly believed to be at least one of the oldest cities to be inhabited continually on the face of the earth. It sits about 40 kilometers from Jerusalem. Um, It is also the lowest city on the planet. It sits at 260 meters below sea level. So when the scripture uses terms like they went up from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's because it literally is a climb. In fact, now, today, if you're at Jericho, if you're visiting it today, you can go up to the Mount of Temptation and you can take a cable car that will carry you up the mountain because it is such a high climb. And the distance when you travel from Jerusalem to, excuse me, from Jericho up to Jerusalem, those 40 kilometers, it moves from 260 meters below sea level to about 800 meters above. So it's a pretty good hike to get there. And it was often the stopping place for travelers as they're journeying to Jerusalem. And so it's, it was a beautiful city. It was known uh, for its oasis. It was known for its gardens. It had sunken gardens in there that um, were filled with beauty. It's also, even to this day, a place where there's a great deal of fruit. There are groves of trees, 
um, that are there in Jerusalem. You can see in that picture that you had there on the screen, it's also believed to be the place where Elisha's fountain is, where he put salt into water that was contaminated and it was healed. That was there in Jericho. And so it's filled with all kinds of history, especially biblical history. Most of us remember the story in, um, uh, in Exodus about how the walls of Jericho under Joshua fell. Actually, that's in Joshua. Um, but there's lots that happened in Jericho. And so it's a very significant city. It also would have been a very wealthy city. And so in that setting, we find the person of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was, the scripture tells us, a very wealthy man. He was a tax collector. And actually, when you look at the words in the original language, you discover that not only was he a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. That means he was over all of the other offices around Jericho that were collecting taxes for the Roman government. He also was likely the toll collector, the chief toll collector. So all the goods that were on their way to and from Jerusalem that passed through Jericho, he got to tax, which made him a very unpopular person with everyone else that he met. That's one of the reasons why you see in the story, especially as it's portrayed there in the video, you you see how it's difficult for Zacchaeus to get past the crowd. Not only because he's short, but chances are he was used to having people push him aside because he was not well liked in Jericho. I mean, truth is, face it, how many of you like tax collectors? You know, how many of you enjoy paying your taxes um, year after year? I mean, none of us do. You know, in the, in the U.S., it would be an IRS agent. You know, internal revenue s- service people, you're afraid of them. You really don't want to sit down and have coffee with them. Um, but God loves them. God loves each and every person. And so it's not... Um, by accident that Jesus has this encounter because as we've been following Jesus in these face-to-face encounters, we are approaching the next big event to happen is the triumphal entry. And this is set just one chapter after the encounter that Jesus has with the rich young ruler where he said that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he says, with God, all things are possible. And so Jesus makes sure that this story gets recorded there to show how truly it is with God that impossible things become possible. Because Zacchaeus, a rich man, came to know the Savior. And it's absolutely beautiful. When you you see this, it's interesting the story even uh, as we know more of it, there in Jericho, there is still a, uh, there's a sycamore uh, fig tree that's there that's over 2,000 years old that some believe, at least in that the tradition, the legend would be, is that it's Zacchaeus's tree. Um, Now, I don't know where that was or not, but it was a tree just like that if it wasn't. And so it's, it's a cool image of this guy so eager, so curious to encounter Jesus that he's willing to break with tradition. He's willing to shame himself, to hike, um, hike up his robes and climb a tree just so he can get a glimpse of Jesus. 
Now, we don't know why he was interested, why he was curious. Perhaps he had heard some of the stories of Jesus, of his miracles and of his healings. Maybe he'd even heard that Jesus had one of his disciples, Matthew, who was also a tax collector. Maybe he hoped beyond hope that this amazing teacher he had heard about would accept him. For some reason, he was willing to climb up into that tree just to get a glimpse at Jesus. Zacchaeus, to give you some background on him, he is Jewish. His name in Hebrew means just or pure one. And it was probably, it probably became a joke to many people because they would never associate a pure one as being a tax collector. And so his name, I'm sure, became a little bit of, uh, of a chance to mock him. The scripture tells us that he was short in stature. He was not physically impressive, but he was incredibly powerful and wealthy financially. Zacchaeus would have been despised by the Jews. He would not have been welcome in the synagogue or at the temple. But despite all of his wealth, all of his success, something was missing in Zacchaeus. He realized that his material success did not fill the hole within him. And so he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to find out about this person he'd heard rumors of. He wanted to find out maybe if this person could show him how he could have a relationship with God. But when we look at this, we see Zacchaeus going and running and climbing the tree. But we need to recognize that it was God who was drawing Zacchaeus to himself. God had a divine appointment with Zacchaeus that day that would change his life forever. Now I want to give you just a few little observations before we kind of break into this passage and, and really look at it. Because there's some application that you and I can take away from this story of Zacchaeus that applies to you and I. We may not be wealthy like Zacchaeus. We may not necessarily be short like Zacchaeus. But there's some things that we have in common oftentimes. First of all, we need to remember that you can't hide from God and that you don't need to. Zacchaeus was up in the tree because he wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus was already looking for him. That's the important thing. So oftentimes we can feel unwanted, unnoticed, hidden, forgotten, but we need to remember that the God of the universe sees everything. And what's interesting here is that when Jesus has an encounter with Zacchaeus, he immediately calls him by name. He'd never been introduced to Zacchaeus before, but Jesus knew his name. He knew he would be in that tree. The reason why he had to go through Jericho on that day on his way up to Jerusalem was because he had a divine appointment with Zacchaeus. Now that's important because maybe you're feeling small. Maybe you're feeling forgotten. Maybe you think you're insignificant and that you don't measure up to the expectations of others. From a spiritual standpoint, that would have been a barrier that Zacchaeus encountered day after day. He wasn't considered worthy to even come to the synagogue. 
Yet Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, not only saw him, he called him by name. That applies to you and I as well. He knows everything about you and he desires you to have a relationship with him. He sees you and he knows your name. And that's incredibly important. Let me give you one other little side note that sometimes is important because we need to to see the people that truly matter to Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, we are focused in on people who are like us, who have the same ideas, the same mindset, the same background, the same culture. Those are the people that we have a tendency to think God is most interested in. But God is interested in every person from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every culture, every background, even every career. Now, I think it's interesting. It's just a side note. Do you realize how different Jesus' disciples were? First of all, they were very different from the average disciple that a rabbi, a teacher would have in that day. He chose very common people like Peter and Andrew, James and John, who were fishermen. They weren't scholars. But he also picked people who were from opposite ends of the spectrum. Like Zacchaeus, Matthew was a tax collector, which means he worked for the occupying government, the Romans. He was not a popular man. On the other end of the spectrum, one of the disciples is named Simon the Zealot. A zealot, his life purpose was to see Israel be set free from the oppressive rule of the Romans. You could not be more politically different than a Roman tax collector and a Jewish zealot. And both of them were followers of Jesus. They came together as one in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that. Because sometimes we take on a view much like the crowd and we're seeking to keep out people that don't think like us and we become an obstacle from them seeing Jesus. And how humbling is it that we could be the crowd that keeps people from seeing Jesus. Now the good news is God is working and God will provide circumstances and opportunities for them to see an accurate picture of him. But I know I don't want to be an obstacle from people having an accurate view of Jesus Christ. Now, this story doesn't tell us all about the encounter that Zacchaeus had with Jesus. It gives us a summary. And unlike what the video showed where everything seemed to take place right there under the tree, most likely the conversation where Zacchaeus says, I'm willing to give half my goods to the poor, took place at dinner. Took place when they were sitting around his table as well as the parable that Jesus tells. But the story is all there. And what we see is we see evidence of transformation in Zacchaeus because Jesus taught repeatedly that a person is known by their fruits, by the actions that they take. And the actions that Zacchaeus takes prove that he had a faith encounter with Jesus Christ that changed him. But to see this story, we need to first look at it from two perspectives. From the human perspective, Zacchaeus was the least likely person to be interested in Jesus. And yet he was curious about a man of God who seemed to love 
and enjoy being with people just like him. Does that describe us? Do people who would never step into the door of the church know that we love them, that we care about them, that we enjoy being with them? Jesus, when you, when you see that in the story, don't miss it. When Jesus is looking up into the tree and saying to Zacchaeus, I must have dinner at your house today, he was saying, man, I want to get together. I want to spend time with you. He would have ended up spending the night in Zacchaeus' house. It was, it was an intimate occasion where they were connected together. From a human perspective, Zacchaeus didn't look like a person who would be interested in God. And yet he was. That's a reminder for us to be looking for those who seem unlikely. Because God very well may be preparing their heart and working in them and drawing them to himself. Secondly, from God's perspective, we see Jesus' purpose and mission that's revealed here in verse, um, verse 10, where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was fulfilling the purpose for which he came. From God's perspective, Zacchaeus was exactly the kind of person he was looking for. Just like you and I. Though our backgrounds are different, we're exactly the kind of people that God is looking for. And we need to understand here some things about this passage that that will enable us to truly understand it. And the first one is this. I want you to see the king's pursuit. This is a story about King Jesus because he's who's represented in the parable. And the king's pursuit is this, that God is the seeker. God had been working on Zacchaeus. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws him. So we are not the ones who are seeking God. Even though Zacchaeus climbed the tree, inside his heart and his life, there was already the work of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit drawing him towards a faith relationship in Jesus Christ. And that's true of each and every one of us. God is the seeker. In fact, I want to show you, there's one of the most um, powerful passages of Scripture It's one of the most frightening passages of Scripture for me as a pastor. But I want you to turn in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want to show you just how much God is a seeker. Ezekiel 34 verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Here in this passage, Jesus is addressing the failure of the shepherds, of the religious leaders of Israel. Earlier in the chapter, he tells how the pastors, the rabbis, the teachers, the priests have become so focused on themselves that they were neglecting the very thing God had called them to do. They were investing in their own comfort, their own desires, 
They were making everything that they did about themselves rather than seeking the kind of people that God desired for them to seek. And so Jesus is the great shepherd and he is the fulfillment of this very verse that we see in Ezekiel. When he says that he has come to seek and to save the lost, he is living out God's promise that he himself would search for you and for me and for every other person who would come to faith in him. So how do we approach those who are outside of Christ? Do we instantly judge their behavior? Do we look at them only on the surface or do we ask the Lord to help us see them with his eyes? You see, it's important that we don't expect a non-believer to have our lifestyle and our values. Our task is to bring them to Christ, to show them his love, his grace, and his truth, and allow him to do the work of transformation, because that's exactly what happened in Zacchaeus. Oftentimes, unfortunately, people feel that they've been looked down upon by religious people, by the church, by Christians. And the enemy uses that as an obstacle to keep people from Christ. We must make sure that we don't help him do that. That instead, we become a bridge that shows an accurate picture of Jesus. Because God loves them. Who are are the people he's seeking? Well, in Ezekiel 34, if we move on to verse 16, here's the people that God himself describes as the ones he he is searching for. He says this, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. When Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost, he is fulfilling this promise of God. He is in pursuit of you and me. He's seeking those who are lost, those who do not yet know him. He's seeking those who've strayed. Maybe maybe they had some spiritual understanding, but they've been led astray, either by false teaching or by circumstances. He wants to bring them back. He also says that God is seeking the injured. He's looking for those who've been wounded, hurt, forgotten, and betrayed. He says that he seeks the weak, the people who are vulnerable, poor, disadvantaged, discriminated against. God seeks the orphan and the widow, the abandoned, the refugee, and the broken. That's where his heart is. And he wants us to have that exact same heart because it was that heart that allowed him to be seeking and have that divine appointment with Zacchaeus that day. God seeks those who've been treated unjustly. Are we seeking him and seeking to love others in that same way? Well, I want to encourage you. I'm not going to take the time to to delve in it now. But if you read a little further in Ezekiel 34, verses 17 through 24 is very sobering. Because what he then says is he speaks to the church, to God's people. And he says, have you muddied the waters for everyone else? Have you trampled down the pasture so that others aren't able to come and feed on my word? 
I want to encourage you this week to just reflectively read that. That's, that's what I've been doing. It's like, Lord, show me ways that I've muddied the water that have kept others from truly seeing who you are and coming to you. So the first thing that we see is the king's pursuit. The king's pursuit is that he is seeking the lost, the broken, the hurting, the strayed. Secondly, we see the king's practice. It is love. With God, love comes first because he recognizes how desperate, how broken, how absolutely helpless we are. His love has to come first. Jesus breaks down all barriers. He takes the initiative not only to begin the conversation with Zacchaeus, but to invite himself to his house to share a meal. In the first century, sharing a meal together meant, I accept you. I care about you. I'm placing myself on your level so that we can relate to one another and get to know each other. That's why it's so important for us to have meals together, both as the body of Christ and have meals together with those who do not yet know him. Because it sets a stage where we can truly encounter one another and show them that we love them and care about them for who they are. Well, the king's pursuit is of the lost, the broken, the hurting, and the outcast. The king's practice is love. But thirdly, I want you to see the king's purpose. The reason that he is doing this is restoration. Acceptance of God's love always leads to radical transformation. Each and every time, the evidence that someone has truly had an encounter with Jesus Christ is that they will be changed. God seeks to restore people to the purpose and the relationship he created us for, to share his life and to show his greatness, to live in union with him. And Zacchaeus' salvation is evidenced by Jesus' words, first of all, when he says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus himself tells us that Zacchaeus is saved, that he has a relationship with God. We don't get to hear all of the conversation, but we do get to see the fruit. Let me show you the three evidences. They all start with R. I know that's shocking that I alliterated them. But they all start with R that show the transformation that happened in Zacchaeus. First of all, we see the evidence of repentance, a new heart. The direction of Zacchaeus' life was changed. He said, the first thing he says is, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. Up until that moment, until that encounter with Jesus Christ, the pursuit of Zacchaeus' life was money, to get all that he could for himself. And yet when he has an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ, he turns around. Do you realize that's what repentance means? It's simply a change in direction. So when you look at your life, has there been a change in direction since you encountered Jesus Christ? Is the direction that you are pursuing in your life, your pursuit, different than it was before? That's the first evidence. Because when we're born again, we're given a brand new heart. And everything about us um, prior to salvation is driven by self. But now God takes up residence in our heart and changes our outlook. And everything about us changes direction. That's what should happen. Zacchaeus knew what people were saying. 
He also knew what they were saying about Jesus. And when he has an encounter himself with Jesus Christ, he willingly shows Jesus and everyone there that he is a changed man. So the first R is repentance. The second one is reconciliation. When we have an authentic faith encounter with God, the desire in us is to make reconciliation with others, especially those we have wronged. We have a new value system. Prior to his encounter with Jesus, the value system of Zacchaeus was all about wealth and power. Now it's about the worth of others. And you see this demonstrated in the generosity that he has. He says, if I've wronged anyone, I'm not going to do what the law required because the law required me to give back what I took from them plus 20% interest. But Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give them back four times what I took. It's extravagant in its generosity because the value system of his heart has completely changed. He is now far more interested in having a right relationship with others than about himself and about the pursuit of his own comforts and his own desires. If we've had a faith encounter with Jesus Christ, reconciliation and forgiveness should be evidenced in our life. And it should be evidenced with a generosity of spirit towards others. Because now we do not see them with human eyes, but we begin to see them through the eyes of Jesus Christ and the value and worth that he places on them. Well, the first R is repentance. The second is reconciliation. And the third is repurpose. You see, from this moment on, Zacchaeus had a new life mission to show others Jesus by loving them as Jesus had loved him. When it says in verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Before, he had been in the business of taking resources to give to the, to the Roman government where he could take off his own cut, his own piece of the pie, or since they don't have pie here, his own piece of dort, piece of cake, okay? He wanted to get his own piece of that. But now, he wants to invest his life in those who are needy, who are poor, who are broken. He has a new life mission. What about you? What about me? Does that describe who we are? Isn't it beautiful to see that change? Now, here's what's interesting. Is that the scripture itself is silent about the future of Zacchaeus. We don't hear about him from this point on in recorded scripture. But church history is not silent. The, the Bishop of Alexandria, Clement, whose writings exist to this day, mentions in one of his sermons that Zacchaeus continued faithfully in the growth and nurture of the Lord. He served Christ to the end of his life with distinction, being elevated ultimately to the role of Bishop of Caesarea. So this little man who climbed a tree to see Jesus left the lucrative money-changing tables at the crossroads leading into Jerusalem and became a spiritual leader who gave his life to serve others and to show them Jesus Christ. That's a legacy. 
that is absolutely beautiful. Now we see the pursuit uh, and the practice of the king. But we also need to see that we have a purpose. That Jesus Christ has entrusted to you and I the same purpose that he had. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if we're to understand the parable of the minus, we need to understand that the purpose, the business that God calls you and I to be about is his mission in seeking the lost, seeking the broken, seeking the hurting in the same way that God does. That's what he brings us into account for. And when you read through that passage, we won't take the time to to break it all down um, today, but the whole focus there is about doing the work of the king while the king is away. Because the promise is that the king is coming back. He's gone to receive his kingdom, just as Jesus has ascended to heaven to receive his kingdom, but one day soon he is coming back and all of his servants who have been entrusted with the exact same thing. That's why this parable is a little bit different than the parable of the talents. This means, this parable means that God has given you and I exactly the same deposit. He has given us the Holy Spirit and he has given us the mission of showing others an accurate picture of Jesus so that they can come to a faith relationship with him themselves. And the question is, not what we have done with our money, But what have we done with our mission? Have we invested in the lives of others so that they may discover who Jesus truly is? If so, we receive the king's reward. Because you see, we have in this the king's trust, first of all, that he's entrusted his mission, his purpose to you and me, his church. But then we have the king's test because he's waiting to see how we're going to use that which he's entrusted to each and every one of us, whether we'll hide it in a handkerchief or whether we'll use all that he has given us for his purpose, for his glory, and to reach the lives of those around us. That's the king's test. And if we pass the king's test, we receive the king's reward where he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. Now I'm going to place you over 10 cities or five cities. I'm going to give you greater and greater responsibility. And Jesus' words in this parable are, to him who has, more will be given. But to the one who has not, the one who has wasted what God has given, even that will be taken away. Those are sobering words and it doesn't mean that they lose their salvation because this is written to his church, to those who have a real relationship with Christ, but it means that they lose out on their chance of being a part of God's work. They lose the reward. I don't want to lose the reward and I hope you don't either. I hope that God will stir our hearts and our lives to use what he has given to us, what he's entrusted to you and I for his purpose and for his kingdom. We are to give our all for Christ. We are to invest our lives in his purpose and in his kingdom. I want to close with this observation from Augustine. He says this, The crowds laugh at the lowly to the people walking the way of humility. 
who leave the wrongs they suffered in God's hands and do not insist on getting back at their enemies. Say what you like, but for our part, let us climb the sycamore tree and see Jesus. The reason that you cannot see Jesus is that you are ashamed to climb the tree. Let Zacchaeus grasp the sycamore tree and let the humble person climb the cross. We must not be ashamed of the cross of Christ, but we must fix it on our foreheads and in our hearts. As for you, I rather think you make fun of the sycamore, and yet that is what has enabled us to see Jesus. Christ wants to dwell in your heart and in your home. No, he must dwell in your heart and in your home. Because you see, Jesus himself climbed a tree for you and for me. He climbed the cross. He climbed the cross so we could see who God truly is. And in climbing the cross, he took my sin and your sin and he bore it on his body as a loving sacrifice for you and for me so that we could come to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will make up the gaps or that you'll speak to each and every person here today what they need to hear from your word. Lord God, you have given us an incredible privilege to be able to show others the goodness and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Well, would you remind us that that is both a privilege and a responsibility that you have given to us as your church. Let us not take it lightly. Let us not be like the crowd that stands in the way. Let us not muddy the waters that others are not able to see an accurate picture of you. But Lord, let us lift up Jesus as our king, as the only one that we serve. Where we have been selfish and self-centered and seeking our own comfort, Lord, let us rededicate our hearts to serving your purposes, to serving the people around us who are in great need, who are broken, who are hurting, who are outcasts. Lord, let us love them as you love them. Father, if there's any person here, Lord, that feels like that's them, may they see your abundant love today and would you whisper their name into their, into their ear, into their very heart and let them know that you're calling them to yourself so that they may simply cry out, Jesus, save me. I want to know you. And that they can come and have union with you through a faith relationship. Lord, would you do it for your honor and glory, we pray. Amen.